This is Rev Yearwood, your host of The Coolest Show. The Hip Hop Caucus Hurricane Ida Relief Fund is raising funds to directly benefit family and individuals impacted by Hurricane Ida and who are in need of urgent assistance throughout the Gulf Coast. Every dollar raised will go directly to families and people as cash for things they most need right now, whether it be food, gas, lodging, medicine, or other emergency expenses. Hip Hop Caucus will be matching the first $10,000 donated. Please donate immediately. Go to hiphopcaucus.org or text IDA to 66539. Again, go to hiphopcaucus.org or text IDA to 66539. Now let's get ready for the coolest show. This is the coolest show brought to you by Hip Hop Caucuses. Think 100%. It's the coolest show you know. Keep the culture connected. It's the coolest show you know. In your ear, yeah, respect and expert level information, entertainment, education. Rev here, we got you covered as you hit your destination. Climate rules everything around me. Cream. For those who lost focus, close your eyes and just dream. Open your third eye, now the world is your off. Coolest, coolest show you know. It's the Hip Hop Caucus. Listen, y'all, I'm so excited for this conversation here with my dear brother, Congressman Jamal Bowman. And from the greatest, he would say, and I would agree, one of the greatest districts we got here, the 16th Congressional District in New York. Uh, as you know, New York City, the city is so nice that they name it twice. Congressman Jamal, how are you, my brother? I'm well, sir. I'm well. How you doing, man? Good to be with you. Man, it is so good to be with you. So I know we got a lot to get into, and I know that folks, you know, tune into this conversation here to hear about all what's going on, it's either from the pandemic to poverty to pollution to police brutality. But I got to tune in something before we get to all that. I think even something more, more even something more serious. I got to start with the serious, serious question. So I got two serious ones off the top. One thing, uh, you know, um, the... If you had to pick your your favorite Wu Tang song, which one are you picking off the top? <laughs> I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming with them. Now, I'm coming. I'm coming on, here man. hard. Like, I'm coming. Like, I'm coming that, hard that's probably going to be the most difficult question for me to answer. <laughs> but since you're going to put gun in my head, yeah, yeah, pick right one there. song. Yeah, you got to pick one. I got to go with Triumph off mm. the Wu Tang Forever album. Well, let's about some serious stuff. Let's about some clemency real quick. So are you going to grant the lock clemency for what they did on their verses? I'm just trying to figure out if you, if you have the... <laughs> I think you have the authority. Is that something that Biden got to do? That's something Biden got to make sure he... <laughs> I think I'm going to write a letter to the Biden administration asking the Biden administration to, to pardon uh, the locks uh, for committing homicide, uh, triple homicide on, on Dipset. It may be even more than that because Harlem was heavy in the building. Yeah. But yeah, man. I mean, it was so, first of all, going into it, and I'm biased because I'm, I'm a bit older. So I'm more like, you know, I came up a bit more with the locks than Dixon. Yeah. Like I was, I was in college with the locks. And I was a high school teacher with Dipset, right? So mm. different Jamals. Congressman, when people ask who you are, what do you say? 
I'm an, I'm an educator, uh, first and foremost. Uh, I'm a black man in America. And uh, I'm a person who cares about people, man. You know, I love people. I love humanity. I love the world. And I, I think the world can be a better place. And I think we need to be doing a lot more to make to make it so. Mm-hmm. But I'm an educator first, you know. So I come into my life and this role as a learner first, because the more I listen, the more I learn, the more I can understand, and the more I can, the better I can serve my constituents. So I'm, I'm, I'm always going to be an educator. You know, I worked in education for 20 years before coming to Congress. I taught elementary school, kids as young as four years old, all the way through high school, kids as old as 18. Um, I, I, I founded my own middle school. I was a middle school principal for 10 and a half years. When I worked at, at high school, I was a, a teacher, a guidance counselor, and dean of students. So I did a lot of different things. So always with the educator mindset, educator disposition. And, you know, as an educator, educators are, are, are a few things. We're, mm. we're, we're mentors. Um, we're surrogate parents. Uh, we are coaches and, and, and motivators. Um, we, we, we are social justice warriors and, and activists. Uh, but we're also problem solvers. So, you know, when we see a child, a young child struggling with something, whether it's the learning process or something emotionally or socially at home, it's our job to figure out a solution to that problem. So coming to Congress with that disposition is important because it's not about you know parliamentary procedure or decorum or what have you. At the end of the day, we got people dying in our streets on a daily day basis. That's right. And, and that's the problem. So if that's the problem, how do we under, best understand that problem? And then what do we got to do to solve it? And it's not as complicated as we be making it. And, and that and that's why I think the general public remains frustrated by Congress and elected officials, because we throwing all this jogging out there, making it complicated. It's not complicated. Somebody hungry, you give them food. Someone's homeless, you, you give them a home. Someone is struggling with education, you, you educate them. Someone needs employment, you get them a job. Like, this is what we should be doing. And unfortunately, we don't do it uh, as efficiently or nearly enough. Speak, speak to them right quick. I, I know, you know, in, in our tradition, our history, our people, you know, it used to be, you know, you had three things. It was it was the doctors and preachers and teachers. That was kind of, you know, when we was building our community, you had to have those 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 things as pillars amongst other things too. But those were three things that were critical. Um, but speak to, you know, the teachers right now. I, I think, I just feel my spirit. If you can, it's, 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 it's not easy being a teacher. In the spirit of COVID, um, right now going back to school, um, this what's been going, particularly those who are on the front lines and bless their hearts in public schools, um, and those who are definitely serving disadvantaged communities. Speak, just give them a word, right quick. What would you want? And now that you've been there, you're still doing that. But what would you want to tell them in this moment at this time? So, if I were still a middle school principal during this time. I may have resigned my position because I can't even fathom the challenges that are taking place in our schools and in our classrooms. The only reason why I can fathom it to a certain extent is because my wife is a second grade teacher. 
So I've watched her go through what teachers across the country are going through, trying to figure out how to provide a quality exemplary education to our kids while not being with kids, while being at home in a remote learning space. Um, It's, you know, teachers create emotional spaces for transformative learning in their classrooms. It's not just academics. It's how kids feel when they walk through the door. You know, it's the smile, it's the hug, it's the handshake, it's the good morning, it's the seating arrangement, it's the uh, peer-to-peer engagement amongst kids. And And it's a space for physical and cognitive and emotional social freedom. COVID took that all away. COVID took it all away. It became, learning became isolation. Learning became marginalization. Learning became a disconnect, a disconnected process. And, you know, what people don't understand is teachers, especially the great ones and the very good ones, love their kids as if their kids are their biological kids. So to not be able to support them in that way is devastating for teachers. My wife couldn't wait. We just came back from vacation. She couldn't wait to go on vacation uh, for a couple of weeks because she's been so stressed out because, you know, some school districts did better than others. But, you know, online curriculum, you know, that 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 needed to be developed and created. And teachers had to learn how to do that. The actual hardware, schools and, and kids didn't have that. Um, engagement with parents wasn't the same. It was just, it, it was just very, very overwhelming. So to my teachers out there, I just want to say, I love you. I am you. I support you. I see you. And please continue to speak up and voice what needs to be heard because I know for teachers they'll go to their principal with certain things and and the principal will be like, yeah, I'll take it under advisement and then not really act on it or respond to any of them. They'll go to the school district. The district will not respond. City won't respond. State won't respond. This is why it's important for teachers to work together in an organized fashion and lift up their voices and, and demand what they need for their kids. You know, in New York right now, there are... um. You know, the mayor, who I like, and the chancellor, who I love, both are pushing forward with, you know, in-person learning, no remote option. We're going back to school. I get it. But now we have this Delta variant spreading rapidly, and we don't understand it. So parents are demanding a remote option. And I wrote an op-ed, I wrote an op-ed with two of my colleagues, Grace Ming and Adriano Espaillat, uh, in support of parents who want a remote option, uh, because that should that should be there. I mean, quite honestly, uh, remote options should be there anyway for a variety of kids, because many kids struggle with with with, with social anxiety, Aspergers, and other usually silent uh, things that students suffer silently with that they just go through middle school with and high school with and, and, and don't thrive because there's no other alternative for them. This is a chance to innovate and do it correctly to meet the needs of all kids. 
No, I love that. Um, that's that's a good word, and I hope hope that hits a lot of them, and so gets them, you know, a little bit more encouragement. Let's talk about classroom and climate. Actually, I know you were you you know you haven't really been in Congress that long. So how long have you been in Congress now? Uh, what is this? Eighth, nine months. Nine months. Nine months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you just you just you know you you. You 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 hit the ground running now. Me be very you hey you hey you 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 know where the bathrooms were and everything. I'm actually I'm not sure if you knew where the bathrooms were, but you found them. You you definitely hit the ground. You hit the ground running. Uh, and in Denver classroom and climate, you putting forth some legislation in regards to the Green New Deal. You bring a little bit of a twist to it. So actually, first break down what is the Green New Deal. So folks who are listening, they can hear what that is. A lot of people hear that. And then also, uh, you're bringing the Green New Deal and schools, and uh, and in that legislation. So break those two things down. So the Green New Deal acknowledges that the planet is dying. Period. The planet is dying. Temperatures are warming too rapidly. They're killing crops. Temperatures are killing crops. People cannot grow food, feed their families. Is leading to mass migrations. Is leading to war. The planet is dying because of climate change. That, that's and the main reason why climate change is so bad right now is because of our dependency on fossil fuels. You know that that's that's coal, that's oil, that's gas, um, that's drilling. All of that ha- is literally destroying the planet. And the Green New Deal says, you know what, we need to end our dependency on fossil fuels and we need to move to renewable energy and we need to do it within 10 years. Because if we do not, the, the climate will get to a, a temperature where weather patterns and other things will be so unpredictable that it will lead like rising sea levels, more destruction of, of crops, more famine it will lead to billions of people dying. Like that's, that's, that's the reality of the situation. So the Green New Deal seeks to end our dependency on fossil fuels, move towards clean renewable energy, and, uh, and, and literally save the human race. And, and I am not overstating that, save the human race. The Green New Deal for public schools looks to do all of those things, but with a focus on our public school infrastructure. So part of ending our dependency on fossil fuel means we need to use uh, uh, clean, sustainable energy in school buildings. Right now, schools still use oil and gas and, 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 and old ways of doing things. We need solar power. We need uh, geothermal power. We need wind. We need all of that in our school buildings so that we can end that dependency. It also will dramatically decrease energy costs in our schools by like 50%. And if we do it correctly in terms of the physical infrastructure, it equals taking 17 million cars off of the road um, if, we, if we do that. So that, that's, that's a powerful piece to it. Another piece to it that's really important is changing how we teach and learn in our schools and making sure we're doing it more in alignment with the needs and the demands of the climate crisis that we are currently in. So we need to prepare our kids so that they understand their symbiotic relationship with the planet. We, we, live, we live with the planet, not on the planet. So we need, the plant, we need to treat the planet well so that it can treat us well. 
And kids need to understand that relationship. So that means we need more science and technology and arts in our schools for that to happen. Um, we also want to engage the local community in the jobs that are going to be created to retrofit our schools and make them more sustainable, but also the jobs in our classrooms from teacher assistants and teachers. Teachers, We need them to come from the communities uh, that we serve the most. And then finally, kids need to be self-directed co-creators of the learning spaces in which they occupy. So as our schools are becoming more sustainable, kids need to be at the forefront of creating more sustainable schools. That's in terms of the physical space, in terms of the, uh, the way in which they learn, but in terms of what they build and design in their schools. There's a great school, High Tech High, out in San Diego that's a charter school, and I usually don't rock with charters, especially the chain charters like, like, like Success Academy and others. But this particular school is all about kids creating uh, problem solving and creating products in alignment with their learning. So in my middle school, you know, our kids created an organic farm in the Northeast Bronx because they had a class focused on horticulture and organic farming. So they created this farm and they started farm, They started growing uh, eggplants and tomatoes and other organic fruits and vegetables that they would then eat and give to the community. So it's that level of uh, engagement and creativity that students will be able to engage in as part of a Green New Deal for public schools. Let me ask you a question on, on, on that piece. Would, would this be... Because you kind of hit on it with the, the there's a need to transition. And I'm assuming at this K two twelve, or are you going through college, community college? I mean, what's what's the well? Well, it, it, the Green New Deal for public schools is only K through twelve, but the Green New Deal is is every facility in the country. It's everywhere, right? The, the Green New Deal seeks to end our dependency on fossil fuels. So that's sustainable building. So that's two year colleges, four year colleges, all moving in the direction where. We're using sustainable energy and not fossil fuel energy. So it's, it's a K, but my bill is a K to 12 focus and it's looking to invest $1.14 trillion over 10 years in our highest need public schools. And, and this is essential because these are schools that physically are also falling apart. Like the infrastructure of the country is falling apart as well. But our schools, man, you got you got lead in the water. You have uh, faucets that don't work in, in the bathrooms. You have a asbestos. You have mold. You have mildew. You have physically you have like buildings crumbling, rats and and rodents and roaches in different uh, areas like Detroit, Philly, and even here in New York. There's schools where that don't have no windows in them, and other schools that have windows that don't open. Like it's crazy, right? So it, it it it's time to evolve. It's time to enter the 21st century, and the Green New Deal for public schools can help us do that. And let's finally invest in our kids who have been most neglected. That's another thing that this does. It starts with the most neglected kids because the the wealthy suburbs they're good. They're already doing a lot of this stuff. It's time for the federal government to invest in communities where this stuff isn't happening. Let's speak to that a little bit, actually. Um, one, as you know, I've been, you know, uh, 
climate activist for a minute and been out here in the front lines fighting the good fight. And one of the things, you know, I remember being at a protest. I remember being arrested at the protest. And it was against one of the fossil fuel industries, you know. It doesn't even matter. It was Exxon, the Shell, it was one of them. But I remember then going over to Tesla. I had to go to Tesla, like, that weekend or the following week. And I remember going to Tesla. And I remember when I walked in there, I didn't see anybody black. I mean, it was nobody. And I mean, I even at the front desk. And it's like, they, we in San Francisco. I know you can find some people of color. I know you can find some. It wasn't like, you know you can find somebody to people of color to be up in here. And it was nobody. And I felt like, man, I'm not literally putting my body on the line to fight against one energy to transition to another energy so that we can continue, in essence, white supremacy or, in essence, not really supporting our people. So understanding that, will this help, you know, with I, I get the, the physical aspects, but one of the things that sometimes in our communities is that we get information like behind the curve, like it's like already happened. Like the internet, okay, it's five years ago, or it might be uh, cryptocurrency, and it's five years ago. And with this regard, we have to transition from fossil fuels to clean energy. Will this, will your bill kind of help our kids be at the forefront of of of, the, of this to help this crisis. Yeah, that's a good way to phrase it. You know, this will help black and brown and poor kids be at the forefront of our nation and our world's energy transition and energy innovation. That's actually a perfect way to phrase it because that's where we're targeting. We're targeting Title One schools in red line communities, and these communities are mostly black and brown. These are the communities hardest hit by climate injustice and racial injustice. So that's where we're targeting to cultivate and nurture the next generation of innovators uh, to, to do exactly uh, what you just described or to push back against what you what you just described, because that's been my frustration as well. Right. Like when you when you look at the tech innovators of the day and the energy innovators of the day, they don't look like us. Um, and then we spend a lot of time talking about why that is. And while we spend time talking about why that is, they're on to the next innovation and the next one and the next one. And we 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 remain uh, behind schedule. And this is where, you know, and I've never used this phrase before. So, so it's great to use it first on your show. This is where the Green New Deal, this is where I need to explain to people how the Green New Deal for public schools is also an anti-colonial approach to education because it begins to shift the consciousness and free the minds of black and brown kids from, from the disease of European colonialism and white supremacy. And once that consciousness is shifted and, and, and black and brown kids tap into and unlock their magic and unlimited potential, White supremacy is finished. It's over. It, it happens with a shift in consciousness. And the, the issue with colonialism, as you know, is it's 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 not to well, it's not just physical, right? Like physical slavery ended many, many years ago. But it's but it's the it's the political, but it's the psychological that remains because of colonial education systems that have persisted. This is the problem both here and on the motherland as well. South Africa, great example, 
post-apartheid, they still have a colonial education system in place, right? So when we talk about growing our own teachers, we're talking about teachers from, from redline communities, historically neglected communities, mostly black and brown. When we talk about tapping into or plugging into Title I schools in redline communities, we're talking about black and brown students. When we're talking about energy innovation and technological innovation, implementing a curriculum so that kids are coming out and they are the next innovators for the 21st and 22nd century going forward. Because colonialism impacts black and brown kids into believing that they are inferior to, to whites, so they deserve less and, and we are, and they are, so this is why we allow the government to continue to give us less. But on the other side, it, it gives the false belief to white people that they are superior because they are white. And when you believe you're, you're superior, you demand more and you learn more and you do more and you accomplish more. So we're, we're, we're shifting that on his head and the Green New Deal for public schools is a part of that. I love it. I love it. Let me ask you a question in this. You mentioned just for your folks in your district, um, you got some folks in your district who, man, it's, it, it, it could be tough going, right? And sometimes our bureaucratic ways make it tougher. You know, they go to the DMV and it's, and it's one line. They have to, <laughs> you know, they're they trying to do this, the bus the bus system. You know, urban planning sometimes is not, it can be crazy because it's like, man, the bus ain't showing up on time. And that means a lot. And then we know even hip-hop. Hip-hop was created because of the Bronx Causeway. Like literally, you know, the dividing of the community, creating the redlining is literally then the voice of the people rose up and says, we got to be the scene then for our community. That literally is how, you know, we, we, we get it going because of that persecution, because of that destruction. But now we got folks like you in this, these amazing seats of power. What, 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 what can you do just to make their lives better? Yes, yeah, it's a great question. You know, I knew that running for Congress and winning a congressional seat would mean that I am now a, a national legislator. My job is to focus on national legislation and to, to, to write and introduce forward-thinking uh, legislation that is always going to be rooted in justice and human rights, particularly racial justice. So I knew that that was part of the job. I didn't also realize coming in that advocacy and my voice on the bully pulpit, if you will, is also a major part of the job. So one of the first things we did, you know, when we came in was we realized that, you know, again, going back to the problem solving piece, the, the district is a majority minority district. We is, is racially segregated, economically segregated, and the poor and black areas of the districts had no vaccination sites uh, when we started to, to roll out vaccination sites. The, the, the places hardest hit had no sites. So, okay, that's the problem. What's the solution? We need vaccination sites. So it's a call to the governor, the mayor, the president, the senators, the city people, back to the mayor, the governor, the president. It's letter writing, it's advocacy, it's mobilizing. Month or two later, my district has four sites, not one, but four. And it's that sort of, you know, just, just 
we got to get things done, right? And it's like, bottom line, can't be rhetoric, can't be this or that. People need vaccination sites, just bring vaccination sites. And even though the, the numbers are still low in the black community, they're much higher than they would have been if we had no vaccination sites. And we li- and when you do that, when, when you bring sites into communities and people decide to get vac- vaccinated, you literally save lives. Like that, that's so that that that's that's one aspect of it. Um, and that's one very tangible thing that we've done. The other thing that, that we we've done so far with our legislation is we've tried to shift consciousness, right? So you know, we introduced uh, the COO Act right after the January 6th insurrection. COO stands for Congressional Oversight of Unjust Policing. We called for a commission to be formed to investigate what happened on January 6th. Now, that bill was not introduced on the floor of the House, did not pass the House, but Speaker Pelosi formed a commission that is currently investigating what happened January 6th. So, the bill didn't pass, but the consciousness shifted enough for where leadership took it upon themselves and, and that and it's now being implemented. Uh, we introduced a care for all resolution. It's called the care for all agenda. And what it does is it, it, it puts a spotlight on the care economy, meaning those who, who take care of our seniors, early childhood providers, nurses, those who take care of people with disabilities, etc. The people who work in those professions are mostly black and brown women, large population of immigrant women, large population of Caribbean women. They rarely make $15 an hour. They are rarely in the union and they rarely uh, have health care benefits. The Care for All resolution wants to focus on huge federal investments to make sure anyone who works in the care economy earns a sustainable wage, uh, has health care, and is in the union. Now, that the resolution wasn't adopted, but the Biden administration is investing $400 billion to improve home health care uh, services. So again, it, it's like a shift in the consciousness. We introduced a Broadband Justice Act, which seeks to make broadband a utility and provided anyone who has federally subsidized housing receives broadband as one of their utilities. Again, no one was doing that. But now it's probably going to be part of the reconciliation package, the broadband piece, to bring it to more rural and urban communities. And and on and on and on, right? Green New Deal for public schools, looking to retrofit buildings, some of that will be part of the reconciliation package. So it, it's 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 legislation, it's 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 advocacy, it's visionary leadership, but it's, and and honestly, it's also treating people with love and respect. You know, it, it's it's you catch more bees with honey. That's real, yo. Like just just be a person of integrity, treat them with love and respect, and 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 show that you're you're really about the work. And, and 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 things get moving, man. So that that's what we've seen so far. And then and then just some of the short and longer term goals. I want to end poverty in this district. I want to do everything in my power to work with other elected officials and whomever to end poverty in this district. The unemployment rate needs to go to zero, zero percent. 
The unhoused rate, homelessness rate needs to be zero. We need to fully fund our schools, which is what the Green New Deal is all about, and, and create pathways for every single person in the district to self-actualize, to be their best selves. So whether you're an immigrant from uh, you know, Honduras, Mexico, Jamaica, or Haiti, there, there's pathways here for you. Whether you're African-American who come from a single-parent home, where you've dealt with some struggles in your life and trauma in your life, there's a pathway for you. Whether you're a scholar, 4.0 student on your way to Harvard, there's a pathway for you. And the focus is, it's always also rooted in anti-colonialism, freeing the mind, but also social justice. The job is not just for you to be your best self. The job is for you to give back to your community. I was talking to a kid today, um, young man who's in... Uh, in the Job Corps program, uh, you know, he literally said, if I didn't have this Job Corps program, you know, the Job Corps program saved my, saved my life. I was like, why do you say that? He was like, well, I was homeless before I got into the program, right? And he said it like so matter-of-factly, but it's like, wow, like that's that's powerful, right? But he, and I asked him, what's his, what's his plan? He said he, he, he's, he's trying to, he wants to work in, in, in clean technology, he wants to work on solar panels. Um, and he's going to move down to Florida to do that because of the weather and all of that. I was like, whoa, 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 we need people in Yonkers to do that. Like, don't leave Yonkers. <laughs> Stay in Yonkers and do that work. Listen, when it's summertime, you 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 harness the energy. We got batteries that we're going to have. We're going to we're going to need you, you know. But that's the point. We want the talent to stay here or to come back here. Don't move to Florida, all these places where you know you hear you should move because it's nicer there. We got to make it nicer for people to stay in their own in their own hoods to do good work. I love it. I, you know, I, I wanted to give me had to give me a hat that says stay in Yonkers. You know what I mean? I had to give me stay in you know, Yonkers, what, what, man. Stay in Yonkers. You know what I mean? He <laughs> goes like, man, I see my man Red one out there here to stay in Yonkers. Red from Yonkers. Like, nah, nah, that's this is a deeper story we got with <laughs> with that. We want to encourage that. Let, let me actually get to this because actually this is important. You can speak to this. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about the squad, right? Uh, who was the squad? Why is it important in the history of Congress? What are they doing now? Um, people see the squad, well, some people do, some people don't, obviously. But a lot of folks see them as, as superheroes um, right now. And then some of them see them as supervillains. So I guess <laughs> yeah. uh, when you answer that question, who was the squad, why is it important? Is the squad uh, more Avengers or more Suicide Squad? <laughs> <laughs> and then if it is more... Avengers, then, then, then which, uh, then which character is who in, in that aspect? <laughs> well, I, I guess when you ask the question, the proper mm. answer is both Avengers and Suicide Squad, because you know some may think that some of our behaviors are suicide mission type behaviors, and uh, you're going to kill your political career doing that or saying that. Don't say that. Don't do it. And as I'm sure you've you've noticed, uh, the squad does what the squad wants to do. Um, but you know, for for the working the working class, for the historically neglected, for the working poor, for children, for people of color, for young people, uh, I think the squad, man, uh, yeah, they're they're like Avengers, man. You know, uh, when I go somewhere. 
you know, and I, and I hear things like, you know, my, my, oh my, uh, oh my God, you're Jamal Bowman. Can, I love you. You're great. You're doing great work. Can we take a picture? Oh, my daughter's going to be so jealous. Like they, they don't, they talk about how their kids are going to be jealous. Right. I had other, you know, another uh, woman in the district. Oh, my, my granddaughter told me I better vote for you. You know, and I'm like, Damn, how's your granddaughter? 12. Like your granddaughter's not even voting age and is talking like that. Um, and that's just me. I mean, it's probably much worse in a good way for, you know, Ayana and Ilhan and Rashida and, and Alex. Well, but, actually, but, run down because like, we got a lot of folks listening who, who you know, they both in the suites and in the streets. So they may be like the squad, squad, like, so break it down. Yeah, who, yeah, who, who, yeah. Who, who, so, so, yeah, the squad is um, the founding women of the new republic is what I also call them. But you have Congresswoman uh, Ayanna Presley from Massachusetts, Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib from Michigan, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar from Minnesota, and Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez from the Bronx and Queens. Um, and uh, what's so dope about them, not only are they brilliant, like brilliant, a whole nother level, they're also fearless and fierce as hell. And I love them so much because, so I grew up with four sisters who are the same, like, like, like just four gangster women who are just ready to, or not even ready, are actually toppling white supremacy and the white patriarchy on his head. So that's the original, the original squad. Um, and then this, this past in, in 2020, uh, Myself and Cori Bush, Congresswoman Cori Bush, won our primaries and then won our generals. And we, you know, you know I, I put that in quotes because look, I'm real humble, man. I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm happy to be there. You know, I don't, I don't want to say the wrong thing. Get thrown out. So I want, I want to, I want to, I want to keep it humble with them. But yeah, so, so that, that's, that's who we are, and we're all endorsed by an organization called the Justice Democrats, uh, which. Uh, we're looking for working class people, random working class people to run for office. And they found me, they found Corey, they found Alex. And I believe Ayana, Ilhan and, and Rashida were already elected officials at the local level. But myself, Corey and Alex, we are, we're new. We're completely, the first time we ran for office. The real answer to the question, who is the squad? The squad is you, man. The squad is you. It's my wife. It's my daughter. It's my sons. It's my friends. It, it's everyone in this nation and in this world that felt disenfranchised and marginalized and less than uh, at some point in their lives or throughout their entire lives because they've been living under the oppression of white supremacy and European colonialism. That anybody who's felt that they're a part of the squad and the original congressional squad gave voice and power to that. And they're the ones that I was watching from afar, like, oh, we can talk about that now in Congress. OK, maybe there's a place for me there. So I wouldn't even have tried to, to run or any of that if I didn't see them killing it in in Congress in in, in with 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 love and integrity, man. And then doing it under against the backdrop of someone like Donald Trump, who was attacking them. And 
it's it, it, they're just they're my heroes too, you know. Um, but we're all the squad, man, and we're gonna need everyone to do what needs to be done in the next five to ten years as we try to save the planet and the human race, literally. You know, as you're talking, one thing I would say is, um, and please take this back that you know many of us within the hip hop caucus and other groups like it that are out there from like Black Lives, um, obviously, you know, people of color, you know, uh, Stop Line 3, um, movements, all of us, but particularly mostly the BIWOC, the, the black, brown, indigenous, woman of color, leaderful movement, young people out here. We watch it. And the one thing that we're excited about is that we, we, we are excited about the example what we don't want, and this is just the keeping it real part, is that we know a lot of these movements have a lot, and they're good allies, nothing wrong, but they're predominantly white, and they, a lot of them are youth groups that are predominantly white, and they're doing good work. So maybe you, very, you might listen to well, Red Pitt and on. Red Pitt taking no shots. They're they doing good work. But it is important that when we have leaders who are people of color to be working with groups like the caucus and other groups, and so I would encourage that. I would encourage that to be something that we figure out because I think that we don't want a disconnect in which um, particularly young black people don't see the squad as their squad. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's, a, it's a great point, man. And this is why I think coalition building is really, really key um, because we, we need, I mean, we're trying to take on Western colonization. <laughs> no, it's right? no, like, no, 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 no. And, 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 and being this attacked is, this daily. Is, this is Thanos. Like, we're, this is Thanos. Like, we're trying to take on. And, and we need each other, and we need larger coalitions of the people outside of, of us as the people in Congress supporting us and supporting each other. Because the work we do is rooted in grassroots, it's rooted in our communities, rooted in the hood anyway, right? And, and, and people who, who who support justice. So this is why we need each other, man, you know, and, and we need to be in coalition and we need to continue to grow our coalition to apply pressure where it needs to be applied in Congress and the White House, because right now, there are other organizations who are who are so organized and have so much power. They can write a letter to Biden or leadership tomorrow and get a bill pulled from from the House floor. I've seen it happen. Um, so that's what we're up against. We need international coalitions to reverse what's been happening for far too long and has led us to where we are today. And there's an open door policy. If folks do want to connect, oh, yeah. there's, oh, yeah. there's, there's I mean, nothing that's stopping. Oh, 100%. I mean, like, I, again, yeah. I can't speak for their offices, but I know how they govern, right? They govern with the people. Everything they go, everything they do is is from the ground up, is from the people. Uh, and we're, we're I, and I can speak for their office a little bit when it comes to this, when we when when it comes to tough votes or legislation, whatever, we're in communication with with organizations constantly around legislation. Um, so so yeah, man. Of course, open door policy and like we're 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 and, and we encourage that wherever you are, you have to be consistently engaged with your elected officials, but you have to be consistent, consistently engaged with your Congress people 
maybe more so than everyone else. Because that's where the power is. And this is a democracy. And we, we only have power because the people who voted us in give us that power to, to fight for them. So a constituent calls me, calls my office, we better take that call. And we better do right by that constituent because it's our job to do right by them. We serve them. They don't serve us. We serve them. So everyone on this call needs to understand that. Who is your congressperson? I bet you, like, before the squad made Congress the shit, no one probably even knew who their congressperson was, right? Like, <laughs> there's many, many people probably didn't even know who their congressperson was. And that's not a failure on the person. That's a failure on the member of, of Congress not to make themselves, not to be transparent and make themselves available. Okay, what are the Avengers? Um, who are they? So this is the first time I've ever done this. So let me let me see if I get it right. And forgive me, sisters, if I mess up. Not personal. I'll just try to you know do it right. Um, so I told Corey we had a funny conversation about this. Uh, but right before that week, I was talking to my boy, and we had like the same conversation because we're both hip hop heads. So obviously we like Marvel, whatever. And we talking about this, and I was like, Yo, Corey is the Incredible Hulk. And uh, he, when he saw Corey later on that day, he was like, well, yeah, we was talking about this. You know who he said you was? You were the Incredible Hulk. And Corey loved it. She was like, first of all, I'm glad that you ain't pinned me into like a female just because I'm a female. But she was like, yeah, I could be quiet, like, you know, like Bruce Banner, whatever. And then when it's time to, you know, let people have it, I let them have it. But the reason why I said that about Corey is she, her, her, her live her her passion the energy that comes from her passion based on her lived experiences is so powerful she could she could wipe out a city if she wanted to right so so like like the hall so Corey's the hall Corey's the hall um Alex uh I was teasing her about this too she was actually there when I was talking to Corey I say AOC is Iron Man um I would say she's Iron Man uh, Ilhan, I might say Ilhan is Black Widow uh, because Ilhan is, uh, you know, she's a Somalian refugee, you know, and Black Widow's like from Russia, really, somewhere, some, not from here, uh, was trained to be, you know, uh, what she is, and now she's with the Avengers fighting aliens and killing it. So Ilhan's Black Widow. Ayana has to be T'Challa. Um, has to... Has to be T'Challa. Yeah, she got to be T'Challa, man. I mean, she is, she is Wakanda. Like when you, when you see her, when you, when you hear her speak, her demeanor, how she, she's T'Challa. So I was going to give Bernie Captain America. Now, mm -hmm. Bernie's not technically the squad, but Bernie, you know, he, you know, Bernie is a progressive, right? And Big part of the movement, but uh, if we're going to include Bernie, I was going to say Bernie gets Captain America. He's the elder. He's the elder statesman. He's Cap. We'll, we'll give him that. Rashida's war machine, yo. She's war machine. You know, yo, Rashida is like. Remember when when there was heightened conflict between Palestine and Israel this past year, and I remember Rashida pleading with the delegation, the caucus, 
to recognize the humanity of the Palestinians and speak loudly about it. And then shortly, she did that on a call with the caucus. But then Biden came to Michigan for something unrelated. And there's this picture of Rashida going to Biden and pleading with him to do the same thing. And when you when you know Rashida and you get to know her, again, the passion with all of them is through the roof. But Rashida's is just, I mean, Rashida's the first Palestinian woman, woman to serve in Congress. First Palestinian person, I believe as a grandmother who lives in occupied Palestine right now, she was, the Israeli government didn't allow Rashida to visit uh, her grandmother in Palestine last year or the year before last, I think. Can you imagine the level of, of passion she has within her um, that she governs with on a day-to-day basis because of these experiences, right? Um, so that, so war machine, yes. Um, and and for me, I don't know. I I wouldn't name myself, so I took the quiz, and there's like a quiz, like which Marvel character are you? And and my 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 the answer was Nick Fury. Um, and and I, I don't know, I don't know, but yeah, Nick Fury was was my answer. I'll, I'll take Nick. I mean, I used to be a middle school principal, so I'm used to managing things. So maybe. I don't manage them at all. Just for the record, I don't manage any of them. Uh, they, 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 they do their own thing, uh, and rightly so. But uh, my my answer was Nick Fury. I love it. I love all that, man. That's actually great. I hope I hope people peep all of them out and 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 give everybody their little <laughs> all our artists artists give do their renditions of all. Word, of sure. man. You, Congressman, I, I just got one more question for you to be closer. Thank you for your time. I appreciate you so much. Um, you know, at the end of your career of service, um, tell us what does winning look like? I don't know, man. I mean, first of all, it wouldn't be winning for me. You know, it would be winning for the district, right? Um, yeah. So right now, so I, I mentioned, I touched on this before. We, if we, if our district was a country, we would have the eighth worst economic inequality in the world. Let me say that again. If we were a country, mm. eighth worst economic inequality in the world, we have the highest mm. number of WIC recipients and some of the wealth, the second wealthiest community in, in the country in Scarsdale. On the Bronx side, you're three times more likely to die of asthma if you live in the Bronx. If you live in Yonkers, Mount Vernon, the Northeast Bronx, you're more likely to live in poverty, more likely to be unhoused, more likely to go to underfunded schools, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Winning for me then looks like equality. Whereas now it's one side of the district, they have everything they need and then some, and the other side is scratching and clawing to survive every day. Winning would be equality, true equality, economic, political, social, psychological, physical equality. Mm. And, and to be very clear, it's not about, it's not about black people trying to be like white people, just to summarize that. It's about investing, supporting, caring for, loving 
communities that have been unloved for 401 years and definitely unloved over the past 50 years since the passage of the, uh, you know, the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act, right? And, 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 and the martyrdom of John F. Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, Malcolm X, Fred Hampton, um, and Dr. King, um, you know, it's, it's to, if we care for those communities accordingly, those communities will thrive and be their best selves. And as a result, the human race will be better and, and, and the world would be saved and better. But we continue to have what we have, which is, you know, apartheid, genocide, mass incarceration, suicide, homicide, uh, climate injustice. We have these things because we've allowed inhumanity to to become our reality Mm. and our norm. And it doesn't have to be that way. It, It just doesn't. So Winning for me is 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 equality in the district and and a, a shift in consciousness where humanity is now working together to solve humanity's problems instead of competing with each other, uh, which ultimately leads to us killing each other and problems not being solved. Very fitting way to end, Congressman. How how can folks get in contact with you or your office, um, and how can folks support you? My Bronx office is 718-530-7710. That's the Bronx office, 718-530-7710. The Mount Vernon office is 914-371-9220. 914-371-9220. And our Washington office is 202-225-2464. And definitely, you know, follow us on social at Jamal Bowman NY. And my first name is spelled J-A-M-A-A-L-B-O-W-M-A-N-N-Y. That's on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And my rep Bowman hand, there's a rep Bowman handle as well. I think it's at rep Bowman at R-E-P-B-O-W. See, got hip hop everywhere. At R E P B O W M A N. So hit me up on any of those. I love it. Man, Congressman Jamal Bowman, my brother, thank you so much for being here. We, we appreciate you. Thank you, man. Peace and love. And, you know, I want to come back in a few months, give you some updates on how things are going. Oh, most definitely. I get it. And that's our guest today. And he is U.S. Representative Jamal Bowman to New York's 16th. Congressional District, and I am Rev here with your host of The Coolest Show. Like what you heard on this episode? Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us at Fake100Climate and at Hip Hop Caucus on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit thecoolestshow.com where you can take action for climate justice right now. You can also learn more about this podcast and donate to Think 100%, which is a non-profit project. Thank you for listening and all...